You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Today I'm going to talk about shame. And I've entitled my sorry. I've entitled my sermon Jesus covers our shame and restores our honor. And I'm going to repeat that phrase. It actually comes from a movie called Magdalena Released from Shame, which has been produced by the same people who did the Jesus film. And it's a film designed to touch the hearts of people from a shame honour worldview. I'm going to spend a lot of today talking about a shame honour worldview and what the Bible says. So if we could go to the first slide. Thanks, Ross. So guilt and shame, what is the difference? Typically, guilt is a feeling that we get from doing something wrong. So if I go to Coles, I'm in aisle four and I steal something, I would feel guilt. As a Westerner, I am actually typically of a a guilt-righteousness worldview. So my feeling is guilt. Shame, on the other hand, is a feeling resulting from doing something that might be morally neutral, but which makes myself or my family look bad. So back to aisle four. This time I'm not gonna nick something, but I'm naked, okay? That is shame. And a worldview, so I presume you know what people mean, just the way that we view the world kind of goes deeper than our culture. And as I said before, Westerners are actually typically of a guilt-righteousness worldview. We understand guilt, we feel guilt when we do something wrong. In fact, we often use guilt and sin synonymously. Um, The emphasis is on what we have done, not so much on our identity. However, shame, Shame is about image, our image, our family's image, our tribe's image. So if you come from a shame honour worldview, shame is the main problem. And I've written that up there, I hope. You've got the same one I do. If by doing something morally wrong, I can protect my family's honour, then the action is justified. I can understand this to a certain degree. Let's say I'm a foreign student and my family and my extended family have sacrificed to send me to Australia and their dreams are in me, they're placed on me, their dream is that I will do well, be able to come back, get a good job, support the family. But I find that when I'm in Australia, my English is not as good as I thought it was, I'm struggling, I'm facing exams and I'm likely to fail. The honourable thing to do is to cheat on those exams. I can kind of understand that. Other things though that, you know, that we might read in the newspaper that, and about you, but they go beyond me, that a loving father might kill his daughter because she has shamed the family. And the justice system might slap him on the wrist or just ignore it. Why? Because he's actually done the honourable thing. And they understand that he has tried to restore the family honour. 
So just looking at those two things, you can understand why sometimes people from a guilt-righteousness worldview don't understand people from a shame-honour worldview and vice versa, and there is often a clash. Go over the next slide. So the good news, all right, the gospel, basically. Jesus died for our sin. Sin is the problem. I don't wanna, when I'm talking about guilt and shame and other things, sin is the problem. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. He rose again. The problem of sin has been dealt with. But often our felt need and the burden we carry are things like guilt, shame, fear, other negative things. The good news and the power and the, the reach of the gospel is that when Jesus died for our sin, he also dealt with our burden of guilt, our burden of shame, our burden of fear. He dealt with these things. That is the good news. I think the next one, thanks. But the sad news. I've said this several times. Westerners are typically of a guilt-righteousness worldview. And we are content that Jesus solved the problem of guilt. And we have typically neglected to tell the rest of the world that Jesus also covers our shame and restores our honour. Do we still talk about the 1040 window? I don't know if we do, but 10 degrees south of the equator, 40 degrees north of the equator. They used to call that um, the 1040 window. And this was an area of the world considered particularly resistant to the, to the gospel. Um, so you're talking about India, China, the Middle East. So, um, and it, and when I was at Bible College, it was talked about as being this is where Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, the other major religions have their stronghold, and that's all true. But also, this is where predominantly the people are, are of a shame on a worldview. Now, a lot of these ideas, I need to tell you this now, are coming from a man by the name of Roland Mueller that I read his book. I'll cite it properly at the end. I just wanted to say that now. Um, so, where was I? Yeah. So the other way of looking at it, it's not that there are strongholds of these religions, it's that we have gone as Westerners telling people that they are released from guilt good news is Jesus will lift your burden of guilt and it has not been relevant. They want to know who's going to deal with the impossible burden of shame that they carry. And that is the good news that they need to hear. Okay, I'm up to slide four now. So it's taken me a while to get to the Bible, but I've got there. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 25 and going through to 3.13. Let me pray before I read. Dear Lord Jesus, we are just deeply, deeply grateful that we have your word. I pray that you will open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear all that you want to speak to us. Genesis 2.25. Now, although Adam and his wife were both naked, neither of them felt any shame. Chapter 3. 
Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all the creatures the Lord God had made. Really, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat any of the fruit in the garden? Of course we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God says we must not eat it or even touch it or we will die. You won't die, the serpent hissed. God knows that your eyes will be open when you eat it. You'll become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. The woman was convinced. The fruit looked so fresh and delicious and it would make her so wise. So she ate some of the fruit. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Then he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. Toward evening, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid themselves among the trees. The Lord God called to Adam, where are you? He replied, I heard you, so I hid because I was I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten the fruit I commanded you not to eat? Yes, Adam admitted, but it was the woman you gave me who brought me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, how could you do such a thing? The serpent tricked me, she replied. That's why I ate it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you see from Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 25, that um, before sin entered the world, they were naked, but they felt no shame. There was no association between nakedness and shame. But as soon as sin entered the world, they felt shame at their nakedness. Let's look at verse 7. At that moment, okay, so they have just sinned. They should feel guilty because they've done something wrong. But the Bible says, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at that nakedness. So their feeling that the Bible records is shame. And the Bible has a lot to say about shame and honour and a lot more to say about shame and honour than it does, in fact, about guilt and righteousness. And once I started looking for it, I began to see it. Um, okay, so what happens after they have sinned and felt shame? In a guilt-righteousness worldview, the best thing to do is to admit that you've done something wrong and say you're sorry. It may not fix the problem, but it might help. But we look at this and we think they're just trying to make it worse. First of all, they sew the fig leaves together in verse, uh, the rest of verse 7. So they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. So now they're trying to cover their shame. Perfectly understandable. Toward evening, when God came, what did they do? They didn't say, I'm sorry, and admit they'd done something wrong. Instead, they tried to hide. Covering their shame did not work, so they tried to hide their shame. 
This makes perfect sense in a shame-honour worldview. Finally, Jesus of God um, confronts them. They finally admit. But then they do what? They pass the buck. Pass the buck. It's an expression we use. It is always a bad thing to do. It makes your guilt worse. But it's the next obvious thing to do in a shame-honour worldview. If you can't hide it, if you can't cover it, you've got to try and pass it away, push it away. So the man says it's the woman's fault. The woman says it was the serpent's fault. From this time on, and you can do your own, I just did a word search on this, nakedness and shame are often used in parallel throughout the Bible. I will just cite one example from Lamentations chapter 1, verse 8. So Lamentations, that is Jeremiah's lament over Jerusalem. Jerusalem has repeatedly failed to obey the Lord's commands. She has gone from a position of honour into shame and he is lamenting her imminent exile. Chapter 1, verse 8. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, so she has been tossed away like a filthy rag. All who once honoured her now despise her, for they have seen her stripped naked and humiliated. All she can do is groan and hide her face. She is stripped naked and put to shame. Conversely, clothing symbolises the remedy for shame. We talk about, we sing about, the robes of righteousness. Again, this is through the Bible, and I'll only use one example from Revelation 3.18. So this is the, one of the letters to the churches, the letters to Laodicea, which Jesus is speaking through the prophet John to the church. Laodicea was the comfortable church who thought that they had it all together. But Jesus wants to say this to them. I'll start from verse 17. You say, I am rich. I have everything I need. I don't know everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. And also buy white garments so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. I'm up to the next slide, thanks. So the redemption narrative. The remedy for shame, just like the remedy for guilt, is written throughout the Bible. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. The people have sinned. They have failed to cover themselves with fig leaves. So how does God cover their shame for them? Chapter 3, verse 21 says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. In other words... Jesus shed the blood of the first sacrifice. God shed the blood of the first sacrifice in order to cover the shame of the first humans. This foreshadows the sacrificial system that they used in the Old Testament and it foreshadows the coming of our Messiah, our Passover lamb. 
who would be sacrificed for our shame. Um, because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Then there is the prophecy in Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a psalm of David when he was in a, a, a difficult position. So it describes his own suffering, but there are elements in it that very clearly describe the crucifixion of the Messiah and foretell what was to happen on the cross. Psalm 22 starting from verse 16. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. We know that is what happened to Jesus. I can count every bone in my body. The two thieves, one on either side, they had their legs broken. Jesus did not. Every one of his, body, every one of his bones was intact. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my clothes among themselves and throw dice for my garments. Okay, that's what I wanted you to look at because if they're doing this with his clothes, then how is Jesus on the cross? He dies naked on the cross for us. Now, when all four Gospels mention something, it's important. All four Gospels include this this prophecy here, that they divided his clothes among them and cast lots for his garments. So Matthew and Mark, they just mention it. Luke, I will read Luke because it does something interesting and I actually will read John later. But I will read Luke now. So this is Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Now what struck me is that only Luke records Jesus saying, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. And if I'm looking at this from a shame on a worldview, it actually strikes me as significant that it's put together in the same paragraph in my Bible with, and the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The soldiers knew that by stripping Jesus naked in public, they were shaming him. Everyone knows that. But what they don't know is that his nakedness on the cross shows to all the world that Jesus bears our shame. Jesus died for our sins. This deals not just with our feelings of guilt, but with our shame as well. Jesus had to die naked on the cross so that all the world would know that he also died for our shame. So what then does redemption look like in the Bible? I just want to pick one, probably the most famous one, the prodigal son. So he's come back, he's walking along the road, destitute, nearly home, the father sees him, runs to him, embraces him, and the first words recorded that the father says are, quick, bring the best robes, 
and put them on my son. That is our redemption. When we return to the Father, the robes are put over us and our shame is covered and our honour is restored. I'm up to next slide. So why is this important? I've talked about the 1040 window. Actually, probably most of the world is predominantly of a shame on a worldview. I think we are in the minority. And it's important, well, we're a multicultural nation. Eltham's not very, but currently, you know, Judge Book, what are they doing? They're renovating part of their property in the desire that they will house Syrian refugees. What do these refugees need to know? They need to know that Jesus covers their shame and restores their honour. And it might be just because I'm a Sinophile, but I've noticed that more and more Chinese people seem to be moving into the area. They are predominantly of a shame-honour worldview. They need to know that Jesus covers their shame and restores their honour. Also, you know, these things aren't fixed. And they're not, you know, when I say predominantly, I mean predominantly. We all understand shame. We need to know too. I think particularly, you know, our younger people need to know. Um, you know, as we march on into the postmodern age where truth is up for grabs and who knows what is right and wrong, shame is in fact the better way to control people. I don't know, I'm not sure that this is not a trivial example, but just say your, your teenager heads off to school on civvies day wearing, wearing daggy clothes. That's not a question of guilt, it's not a wrong thing to do. But what about shame, you know? Will their image ever recover? And then lastly, it's important because it is strongly throughout the biblical narrative that Jesus covers our shame and restores our honour. For example, why were the Jews slaves in Egypt? From our worldview, we say, well, they did the wrong thing, so they were enslaved. But there's more to it than that, you know. They, they are slaves in Egypt so that God can then show the world that he is in the business of restoring a downtrodden people who are in a position of shame back to a position of honour. Why did Jesus um, stop and talk with a Samaritan woman at the well? He wanted to show the world that he honours those who are in a position of shame and he raises them up. And why did Jesus die naked on the cross? Because nakedness is a symbol of the shame of sin and all the world needs to know that Jesus in bearing our sin on the cross also bore our shame. Just the last slide. So the man's name is Roland Mueller and the book is The Messenger, The Message and The Community and you just download it from the internet. Very simple. He's not very quotable. This was the best quote I can find. You can read that if you like. Um, 
When I practice this at home, it seems to take half an hour, and I think that's long enough. And then I get up here, and I feel like I've just been here for five minutes. So if you don't feel like you've got your money's worth, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> We're going to have a time of communion. And I thought that it would be appropriate to have this image of Jesus naked on the cross, to meditate on that as we... Um, come and share the elements together. So I will go back and I will read from John chapter 19, starting from verse 23. Because John, unlike the others, puts in a lot more detail. He slows it down. When someone slows something down in their narrative, they want you to take note. They want you to stop, picture it, and reflect. So let's do that this morning. John chapter 19, verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said, let's not tear it, but throw dice to see who gets it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and threw dice for my robe. So that is what they did. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are like the father who received the prodigal son. Thank you that you have robes of righteousness to cover us. Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to be shamed upon the cross for our sake, that we know that you restore our honour. Thank you for your death. And Lord, as we we celebrate the fact that you lift our burden of guilt and our burden of shame, may we understand more deeply what that cost you. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www dot elthambaptist dot net